Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. In this episode, Marcus Lincoln shares his experiences both as a participant and an organizer of the Texas Winter Jam and the importance the event holds for the national and local communities. He explains his ideas on challenge mindset and his approach to both training and coaching. Marcus discusses his plans for traveling, the impact travel has had on him, and the adventure of learning new languages. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. And I'm Marcus Lincoln. Marcus Lincoln is a senior coach and athlete with Parkour Generations Americas. Before moving to Boston, he was a Texas native and currently organizes the annual Texas Winter Jam. Marcus's powerful, connected movement is based in his intellectual study and analyzing each unique piece of a movement to better understand the whole. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you for having me, Craig. Marcus, the obvious place to start is Texas Winter Jam. I'm sorry I didn't go this year. I apologize. That's okay. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about... so? Those of us who aren't from Texas, we okay. talk about like Texas as a separate entity, but can you tell me about the communities that are in Texas and, and why the jam mm-hmm. is special to those communities? Yeah, okay. So the Winter Jam originally was not in the winter. It was in the summer and it was put together by Jeremy Sanders and I believe it was a group from Seattle, which included uh, Tyson Chekka and Brandy Laird. And essentially the idea was just to get a bunch of people who were friends together to sort of just jam in one place. And I think it ended up being called the Four Corners Jam. I personally wasn't at this event because I was too young at the time. So I couldn't go like hang out with all the cool parkour people. But (laughs) yeah, so the consensus was that it was too hot in Texas to have an event in the summer. So it was moved, I think, once more to the spring. And then finally, it was decided that it was just going to be the way to kick off the year. Uh, So it's always the first weekend in January. And it's not actually cold in Texas during the... It does get cold. Like you need a jacket. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like snow is not outside. The year that I went, it was in the 20s. There were icicles (laughs) hanging off that thing. There were. There were. That was cold. I was, was like, this cold. is it colder was chilly, than it yeah, was in yeah. Pennsylvania. Yes, it was cold. <laughs> I was way underdressed. That's fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, like when I, I don't know, in the South, you kind of hear people from the North and they're like, oh, I miss seasons too much or whatever. But I didn't realize what seasons were until I came up <laughs> here to the to the North and then like leaves changed colors. And you could definitely tell that it was like autumn or fall mm-hmm. or, you know, summertime. So just very, very different. And in Texas, there's just like hot and cold and you're like, oh yeah, it's summertime. Hot and, and hotter, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, that asked, that begs the question of when you came up here and continued training, so mm-hmm. you're training in Texas, you came up here and continued to train. How did the seasons change? I mean, other than like it gets icy and you yeah, yeah, yeah. too close, but like did the seasons change your training? Yeah. I mean, obviously I have to adapt to like when I can jump or when I cannot jump outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally become freezing cold instantly as soon as like the temperature is any any sort of under 50 right <laughs> anything at all but yeah uh, there's i learned that i could warm up a lot more so i just like sprint around at the beginning and then i'm like mm. sweaty i can remove my jacket or something and maintain that and train for a while if it's not too too cold outside but primarily i just had to start training inside more do you think that and just avoid the cold <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you think that having to adapt to seasons like that do you think that has improved your training or improved you personally or like is it something that you would now miss if you went back to texas or you know mm. let me back in the heat or what yeah no i mean it's definitely improved my resilience in, in general we teach our classes all year round so being outside like during the snow is not something we don't do so i, ha- I train in the snow and i train in the cold but it's not like my personal favorite thing to do because you have to avoid like ice and just like frozen yeah, water frozen everywhere, so it, it is something fun to overcome. Like most challenges, when you've when you've completed it, it's, you look back and in hindsight, it wasn't so bad, and you've uh, improved in some form or fashion. But I think, yeah, training in the snow is it's just you just have to be more careful. 
it's different. You have to adapt to the environment, but it doesn't, it's not for lack of like its own challenges or anything like that. I derailed you there with a question about seasons. So let's circle back to uh, Winter Jam. So what you're going to say more about Winter Jam. Yeah. So recently we just had our 11th Winter Jam. So it's been running for a little over a decade now. And I personally started to help organize it. Uh, this, this was the third year that mm-hmm. the, with the event that we just had. So it's new to me, the event organizing side of it. Before I'd only been a participant. So I had to just learn that there was more to putting it together than just showing up and there's a jam. Um, <laughs> and then also to improve it over time was something that they're just skills that I didn't exactly have that I had to identify and then say, okay, well, I have to learn this thing now. What can we do about this? So a lot of just problem solving and critical thinking skills have helped to help me to develop the event a little bit more. And moving up here to Boston was a great help because it just helped solidify my professionalism in general responding to emails, being ready for things to change or to go awry or... Mm-hmm. Um, no plan survives contact. Yeah, yeah right? correct. And having, just having a very quick feedback loop in general, making decisions quickly and not necessarily being too held on to a particular plan. Yeah, the event, it's not like the most difficult thing to organize. For me, there's definitely been a learning curve in organizing it, but I think there's, like I was saying, a lot of potential for it to really be a platform for the communities to work together. I was telling you a little bit before we yeah, recorded how, that. Can you uh, spell out a little bit about the Texas regions yeah, and how so the, the big In space. Texas, it's very far away. You can just consider it like each city is kind of a um, state. another state away. So they're, all the communities aren't like super interconnected to where everybody's hanging out every weekend or anything like that. But with this jam having run so long, everyone's grown very used to mm-hmm. coming each year. And also there's a, in Dallas, they have the massive jam that goes on and that happens during the summer. It's not quite as large as the winter jam because not as many people from out of state come, but a lot of in-state practitioners go and attend this jam pretty regularly as well. So there's a lot going on in each in each city individually. Each of them has at least one parkour gym, some of them having up to like three or four. But really coming together for the for the winter jam is something that I make it a point to reach out to every organization in the state, reach out to a lot of my which a lot of the a lot of the people who are running the gyms or running the organizations mm-hmm. or coaching in the state are people that I've been training with for like the past, you know, decade, yeah, a decade or so. So Boston, right? and to some degree it's based a lot off of like uh, personal friendships and relationships as well. So I think it's very important not only for us to maintain those relationships, but also to work together to grow and to move forward as a community and really provide opportunity for people that are just now joining our community or quote unquote growing up in our community to give them chances and opportunities that we might not have had. So now, for instance, parkour gyms exist, parkour coaches exist, and like you can go and ask people questions about how to do parkour, mm-hmm. like how to train parkour, whereas in the past those things didn't exist in our <laughs> communities. It was a lot of like getting online to the forums and talking to people and like sharing videos and stuff like that. And maybe you could meet up with some friends in the city or you would have a, a, a city gathering or something. But yeah, now there's now just like so, easier. so much. Yeah, we, we literally <laughs> we literally had a different gym each night of the jam this year that hosted us. So mm-hmm. and some of the gyms were just like massive, like much larger than I mean, like one of them is a gymnastics and parkour gym mixed together. And another one is, or the other two are actually mixed movement gyms. So trampolines and foam pits and like things on the ceiling hanging mm-hmm. for you to swing on and like aerial silks and lira and stuff like that. So lots of movement communities mixed together in these sort of like hub locations. But yeah, I think the more the more that everybody works together, the better the community around those locations will grow and then the more those locations will benefit and then the state will be able to grow a larger statewide community and 
the exchange between one state and other states' communities is going to be beneficial in the future as well, right. especially for different things like the NAPC, for instance, the different qualifiers that they have. Mm-hmm. People are going to travel like from different states to come over to do some type of competition. People have been doing that with workshops and, and jams already. So what other ways can we get these states and cities to work together to grow and develop new events and new reasons for people to come together? Is there something in particular that you find particularly challenging? Like, oh, when I have to teach this class or this type of space or these types mm-hmm. of students, like, you know, where's what's the hurdle? Particularly challenging. I mean, there's all sorts of challenges to be had. I think um, every every student is going to present some kind of quote-unquote challenge because that's essentially what it is that we're focusing on when we do parkour. Yes, it's a nice set of moves and you do them in a certain way and it, like physically and visually looks a certain way and you can say, okay, that's parkour, but... Really, the practice that we're imparting is how to identify that there is some sort of obstacle or some sort of problem to come up with a plan of like mm-hmm. approach. Like, what am I going to do about this situation? Critically think about like how that approach is going to work or to test it out and to break the situation down into smaller pieces that are manageable so that you can move forward and you pr- can progress towards the, the goal that you've set. And a lot of people maybe don't want to face hardships or want to like uh, maybe look inward and find problems that they have like in their own personality mm-hmm. or self, yeah, but absolutely. Um, it's going to reflect in how people move and how they practice and what decisions they make when they move in practice anyways. So like your risk assessment, for instance, if you are not particularly balanced in a certain way, you might take too many risks or might not take enough risk. And some risk needs to be had so that you can yeah, you know, overcome whatever, there. yeah, there's you're overcoming whatever type of fear that it is that's stopping you or impeding you. So that's what like breaking a jump is or waving a jump, as Sebastian might say. Yeah, you're saying I'm afraid of this thing. I could get hurt or whatever laundry list of things could go wrong, but I still want to do it for some reason. So the risk is not going to, the danger maybe is not going to diminish, but the risk itself, there's some way that I can I can make that smaller and more like I said, manageable, or I can make this challenge a little bit more approachable if I do something similar or, or work on it piece by piece, or uh, maybe I just need time for my mind to process what it is, or I can logically talk myself into saying, like, I have A, B, and C, and that means that I can do each component of this movement or whatever it is. So there's a lot of, like, avenues of that you can take towards your solution, and it doesn't matter exactly which one. Of course, some of them are going to be longer and some will be shorter. You can take the right. expedited version or with you. <laughs> you can stand in place. But yeah, you're eventually going to come up against that impediment, that obstacle anyways. So you might as well practice working um, yeah, on your obstacle past skills, Yeah, absolutely. Right. Correct. So it's not parkour is interesting. Uh, it's not that like that you can do the cool moves or that you've learned them quickly. It's more about that process of learning them and it's the process of identifying and, and overcoming and breaking down those challenges mm-hmm. so that you can build yourself up based off of those experiences. If somebody can just do every move like first try, then good job. Like you're really good at being an acrobat. Yeah, but, but you're not developing you, the skill set. Yeah, right? correct. You're developing and your challenging your challenge the, uh, skill set. Original intent was to be strong, right? So it's, you're constantly going to have to go up against something that's too pushing hard. You, yeah, right. correct. Yeah, the pushing edge. You the edge? So, and not everybody, not everybody is going to be seeking like strength necessarily. Some necessarily, some people yeah, that's one of seek the big, creativity and things one like of this. The big but, misperceptions is people assume that, and I don't mean people in the parkour space. Mm-hmm. I mean people in the outside space who hear things like "be strong" or even "be strong to be useful," mm-hmm. and they 
automatically assume that strong implies gross tonnage or what I can bench press and that kind of thing. And yeah. I, I think people in parkour would say that, yeah, strength is, there are many facets to that. And the outwardly visible physical strength is one, it's not unimportant, but it's just one piece of. Yeah, I definitely say that like a parkour practitioner would feel this way, given that they've had enough experience with parkour to understand that. But a lot of people are going to be like, oh man, stair QMs are hard. I'm just not strong enough. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Stair QMs are always going to be hard. Like it's not, you don't wake up in the morning and you're like, yeah, let's do it. Unless you're Laurent, you know, he's like doing it every day. More stair QMs, it's good for the yeah, soul. Yeah, the answer is always reverse QM on yeah, stairs. Yeah, correct. There's no other way, but bonus points if it's an escalator, right? But Oh gosh, in Scochi, death. <laughs> oh, what a way to get ground up. <laughs> we've we've coined a term here called sabotochi. It's when you sabotage you, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the idea is to... Like I said, grow in some way. And strength is what we were talking about. Right. You don't necessarily have to be physically strong. The idea is to grow in some way. And through growth, you build strength. Uh, or by building strength, you grow. So like they're very, they're very interconnected. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can, you can find other ways to build strength aside from just through your muscles. Though, the, again, the process of doing that, similar to like bodybuilding or weightlifting or something, the physical body is a representation of that process. So you can see, okay, now because I have parkour skills that like look a certain way, that means that I've put in this time and effort. Right. And that's why it can be confusing when some young athletic guy is like just doing everything super easy. People equate that with, wow, that person must yeah, have something some level of special. Yeah, correct. And that's not they, necessarily the case. People yeah. can just like throw themselves down the side of parking garages <laughs> and like i'm sure it's very difficult and very like specific practiced skill and i don't know everybody in the world that does a descent yeah but, know, when possibly, you see, but when you see people who are really good at descents do descents if you're a parkour practitioner mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you understand okay that's impressive and it's not yeah. just impressive because of the dynamic negatives that you have to do or the precision of your foot placement mm-hmm. you understand all the rest of what you're talking about here and one of the fears when this has been discussed elsewhere one of the fears is that it also looks spectacular mm-hmm. but we're not really wowed at least i'm not wowed by the spectacle i'm wowed by knowing how much effort that person put in on everything that you can't see. Yeah. And that seems to me to be the challenge for parkour in general is to try and explain that to the public isn't quite mm-hmm. the right word. Try and show that, that, uh, that invisible aspect. So do you, do you think about that? I'm wondering as I'm talking about your personal practice, now, mm-hmm. not coaching, but in your personal practice, do you, do you just, just air quoting, just go out and train or do you have like a, and I'm going to make it like a, big vision that's all diagrammed out but do you have a vision for okay this is what marcus is not good at and i'm going to go find a way to grow in that dimension like do you actually set out to do that how do you yeah so i guess when i go out to train especially nowadays because i coach parkour so a lot of it is spent it's like parkour work so when Mm -hmm. i go out to train i want to go like play and move around and have fun Mm. do something that like puts me in a better yeah correct energizes me so usually warming up and like getting to the place to where I just like can run around and like breathe Get comfortably. Right yeah. Now. Well, almost, almost like that. I usually just attribute it to being like warmed up and ready to approach any sort of challenge. Right. And then from there, like my creativity becomes peaked and my sort of interest in just the environment. So I might like look for particular challenges. And then of course, in the back of my mind, I know like these are the things that I'm good at and these are the things that I'm not good at. So with whatever challenge it is that I find or one that I remember and I go back to, I might try to like incorporate or overlay some of these other skills that 
I know that I'm not good at. So like if it's, hey, I found a way to like, you know, climb up the side of this wall. Well, what about this particular move that I haven't done in a while? Or what about this particular climbing technique that I saw on a video at some point? So See, I think that's, and, and I agree with you, not that I train anywhere near as much as you do, but, but I agree with you in that I go out and I'm like, okay, this is, I don't want to just find the thing that I hate yeah. to do and like, I should work on that, right? That's yeah. like, that's going to be fun. But I think that people who see, not that people will see me do a lot of parkour, but people who watch us, you know, you train, me train, us train together, they mistake what we're doing for like a dictionary attack. In other words, okay, today we're working on apple, then we're going to work on banana, then we're going to, we have all these fruits and we have them all lined up and okay, you're weak in pear, let's work on pear. But what we're all really doing is going out there and like creating, either we do it or a coach does it, creating this artificial structure. And then in that structure, so we're doing wall runs, in this technique, now we're searching for ways to improve ourselves. And I think that's a big piece that you were just bringing up. I think that's a big piece that the average non-parkour practitioner misses. And I think that's really important because the new people who haven't done parkour, who come out for their first class, that's the thing that they need to discover. They need to go to their first class hopefully at their first class and discover, oh, it's not about learning this dictionary of things. And I think it's it strikes me that you are, as a coach, that's a level of thinking that you're particularly good at, at like understanding that your job isn't to just teach parkour. Your job is to teach how to improve oneself through parkour. So that's that's great to hear. I really... Yeah, I would think the the dictionary of like moves or things that one could do in parkour is more different like choices that you could use to help guide somebody towards that like quote unquote ultimate meaning of parkour or like the secret of parkour. Yeah, like if we're just going out today, we're just going to do some Kongs or whatever like that, or we're going to do routes or let's say we're making a route, right? And we've just like played add on until we've got a series of five moves and one of those moves just happened to be like a difficult movement that, you know, here, let me back it up. Actually, maybe you're working on a difficult move and you're like, this is the move that I suck at and it's no fun. And then we expand that. So we move, we do the move like a Kong and then we do a running precision after, right? And then, but maybe we'll back that up and do something into the Kong as well. So you go lazy vault over the first wall and then you do a Kong and then you do your running precision. And Mm -hmm. so we've created like a route by adding sort of moves as parentheses to to it, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe we add another layer. So we have a series of five moves and this is kind of the way that I like to build routes when I'm teaching people something. So now not only do they have to focus on the first thing that they're not good at to get that practice, but they have, they put it into a little bit larger of a context, like you were saying, but then you add an even larger context and that thing that they weren't good at is no longer the focus anymore. It is the focus. Like, so yeah. if I was coaching, I'd Sneaking say, up on it from the yeah, yeah, spot. Yeah. <laughs> if I was coaching, I'd say, you know, do the whole route, but when you get to the difficult part, maybe go a little bit slower and be a little bit more careful with how you're moving. Or just think a little bit more about this particular movement, but don't stop. Don't not continue the route, right? Doing the route becomes the important thing, but we're still sort of um, chipping away at like the refinement of that one particular movement that we started with or the difficult movement. And the thing that I started on that I didn't want to do that I was having trouble with. Yeah. Now in this context, it's a smaller. Correct. And you, you sort of need that to be able to continue on to the next thing. It shouldn't, you shouldn't practice in such a way to where like that movement completely is impossible and it stops you from doing anything else. Right. It should be like, instead of a Kong, you might be doing a pop on or something like Mm -hmm. that. Right. And like you're doing a diving pop on or a Kong up, whatever people call it, but it shouldn't impede you from playing the game anymore you just change it a little bit so Mm -hmm. that it suits you marcus we've talked about 
a little bit about your coaching and how you approach coaching. We've talked about Texas. We've talked about Boston and seasons. And is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? Oh, I just thought of a thing, actually. This summer, I'll be taking, or I'm planning to take a trip to France mm -hmm. to go to Every Move. Alonzi, Alonzo. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. finally. Now I know. I use, apparently have been using this Alonzi wrong the whole time. Allez, <laughs> allez, but whatever. Yeah, no, I'm planning to go to France for the first time, which is super exciting. I'd like to go. I've never been, mm -hmm. obviously, so, um, or maybe not obviously. Well, you did say so this, your first time. So this, this, this past summer, I went to London which was my first international travel mm -hmm. uh, to coach at a rendezvous there um, with Parkour Generations London now. I have a passport, so I decided to continue traveling. It's, a, it's an exciting thing that I haven't quite begun to do yet. So France is one of the obvious places that I want to go to, so I'll be going there first. Uh, like I said, I want to go to the – it's like my parkour pilgrimage, essentially, yeah, but sure, I want to go sure. to this go to uh, go to workshop this? so I can go to see where uh, everything started at and train – with some of the people that started it and the communities that have developed over there from whatever has been developing the communities over there. Right. The people that are still there. Correct. Yeah. It'll, it's, it's obviously through the ADD academies. So I'm very interested to see just their communities in general, how they train, what they do, and just to be in a new place with new people, a new language, mm -hmm. been using Duolingo, Duolingo app and everything. Yeah, it's great. Ah, comment allez-vous? Um, yeah, not oh, <laughs> right. Couldn't couldn't do it yet, but <laughs> I'm working on it. Sorry. How are you? Uh, yeah, thank you. I can I can say je uh, te français avec Duolingo. I speak French with Duolingo. With <laughs> Duolingo. Correct. I can piece together small things, and I I watch the. French news on live That's on, a good thing. on uh, YouTube. I'll just let that play in the background. And I try to pick up on context clues a lot because I assume I'm going to have to do that. When have, you, have you dug into this? This begs the question. Have you dug into the difference in the technical lingo? So in other words, it, it's not just the French use French words mm -hmm. for all the techniques, but the words are different. So what we would call a cat jump or a cat leap or it's an arm jump. yeah it's an arm jump yeah, like all, yeah. have you have you like dug into that to learn the french words or are you just looking to jump in the pool because yeah no i think um, it's fun to just jump in the pool <laughs> that's fair the um adapt certification actually had the original french terms mm. uh when they are teaching the techniques or teaching about the techniques so yeah like sati bra and sati fond and uh equilibre and all sorts of things like i mean quadrupedi is yeah, like, yeah correct yeah and <laughs> then is horrible i mean right? the the yamak were some of the first quote-unquote, real practitioners that I trained with, maybe like three or four years into my training. One of the community leaders in Texas organized a trip and brought them over. Maybe they were doing like a larger tour, I don't remember, but I do remember one day we, they were, it was before the workshop, we showed up and we met up where they were, and Matthew Willis is his name, he was like, hey, I'm going to lunch, can you like babysit these guys? And me and my <laughs> friends were like, uh, yeah, sure, no problem, we'll just babysit the, it was... <laughs> Chow, Laurent, and Jan. Yeah, it was just the three. And then we just like ran in a circle for an hour. It was great. They started like putting out stuff in a square and we're like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, whatever. Running and running and running. It was great. I mean, we did, we did those small moves, but that was just how they like, they did it. They got some free yeah, time. They're going to do continuously something. Continuously move, right? Yeah, correct. It was amazing. But yeah, their French, at least from what I picked up at that time when I didn't know any French, was very based off of like onomatopoeias and just like sounds and yeah. ideas. So like Tic Tac is already like pretty close to 
being just a sound word, but they're like, psh, psh, ba, ba, boom, ba, ba, boom, 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 and like running around with their. That's an excellent like yawn. Gesticulating with my hands, but yeah, yeah. And it's funny. I don't really tell too many people this, but when I travel to a new place, especially like when I went to London, because so many people have different accents, I pick up on people's accents when they speak to me or the way that they like the cadence at which they speak. Mm -hmm. So when I was in London and there were so many different like accents and speech cadences, I just like let my accent like do whatever it did. Let the sponge go. Yeah, yeah. And it was... I sort of started talking like this to where I was like speaking in just sort of short sentences and maybe like one word at a time or like, no, 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 just come on. You can go, go, go. You can do it. <laughs> um, and it was probably, probably hit its culmination when we were doing our final challenge of classic backwards stair QM. It was only four sets of 15 stairs. To, it was, it was easy. And you just do that. I think the number we set for everybody was 500, which in my opinion was much too low because Dan and I had a conversation about it, but I felt like a thousand would be like a solid number. There were like a lot of people there, but um, we actually, we passed the number. And so the quote unquote coaches were activated and we started adding to the total score that everybody needed to go to. And I, as planned, was the first coach to be activated. So I immediately took my shirt off and took my hair down and took my shoes off and was like, ah, (laughs) I just like stare QM as fast as I could. And then people were like, you're crazy. But (laughs) I was working against you. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. But I was walking around to everybody as they would like say whatever they said to me. And I'd point at them and I'd say, you are strong and you are strong. And I'd to everybody, you are strong. And there were people like in pain or people like laying on the floor crying and whatever people do when backwards stair QMs happen. But um, yeah, just <laughs> when saying. When they should be backwards yeah, stair QMing. Come right? on, you can do it. But yeah, just encouraging people because they're like, of course it sucks. Of course it's hard. Like that's the whole, we wouldn't be doing it if it didn't suck and if it wasn't hard. But the point is not to be like, oh, this sucks and this is hard. I quit. And right. quit. Yeah. yeah the no. point is to do that and grit your teeth and persevere. And because even if you don't like accomplish whatever challenge you set out for yourself or whatever numbers you set out for yourself, the point is that you dug deep and you tried and you moved forward and you found a way to overcome just a little bit. Even if you improve just by like 1% or half a percent in 100 or 200 days, you're 100% better than you were in the past. So easy peasy, you just got to keep working for it. But no, the, the journey is never easy and you can tell that you're on the path if things are difficult for you. Are they always going to be difficult? No, but if something's too easy, then you're probably ready to do something more or something else and to move forward in some way and to push. The challenge zone is beyond the comfort zone, right? The danger zone is beyond that. And then there's the Xander zone beyond that, but we don't go to the Xander zone. (laughs) (laughs) Marcus, you may have heard me say before that I like to collect stories. So is there a story that you'd like to share? Uh, I feel like I've heard you say that before, Craig. Yes, there is a story that I'd like to share. Would you like me to share it with you? No, not really. <laughs> I see. Maybe no. some other time. No, go ahead. Seriously. No, I'd love <laughs> to hear your story. Yeah, yeah. It's a memory that pops out from my level two ADAPT certification assessment. The first time that I took the assessment out of three, because I took it, yeah, I took it a lot for fun primarily, but also to get the certification. We had to do an exercise to where it was a series of like five or six jumps in a circuit. And the first jump was that you were kind of up on this wall. And you had to jump down to this little outcropping that was right next to a perpendicular wall, perpendicular from the one that you're standing on. And it's like six feet down, then it's like eight feet out. Mm. And you have to kind of turn your feet sideways to land on it. And then I think from there, like we turned around and jumped to another wall or we jumped up or something. But there was a series of like five or six moves and you ended up in the same place and had to repeat that same jump again. And you had to do a total of 10 times. And if you messed up at any point, you had to start over 
all 10 of those laps again, but you could only start over like two or three times or you didn't, you didn't pass that portion of the assessment. It was our, it was one of our technical days because mm-hmm. there's a physical, technical written and coaching portions of the assessment. And so somewhere, somewhere along the amount of laps that I'd gone, I might not even have done any laps, but I'm standing up on the wall and sort of eyeballing this first jump. Cause it's not one that you just like do willy nilly. Like you have to like really kind of focus to do it cause it's an intricate landing. But I saw this guy who like worked for the city or something who had a power washer, like a portable power washer with him. And he was kind of walking down the sidewalk that the wall was overlooking. And he walked out of my frame of view down to my lower left underneath where my feet were. And I remember very clearly Blaine was one of my assessors, Chris Rowett. And he always has like a very like kind of like a serious face that doesn't really show emotion or anything unless he sighs he sighs sometimes but um the guy with the power washer began spraying some graffiti literally on the wall at my feet right so it's just like and just like spraying water everywhere like just this big cloud of like water vapor around right. or mist around me and it's just like really loud and all the things that you don't want during a jump like that it's like somebody to be power washing like practically your feet (laughs) so i'm like i look at the guy power washing and then i look back at the jump and then i look at blaine and blaine looks at me and and so i'm like okay i guess i just need to yeah this is part of the going (laughs) keep going (laughs) but yeah he was just watching to see what i would do to see if i'd like oh i can't do this but yeah i just did the jump and kept going around and the guy power washed literally the whole time we kind of made a joke of it later like maybe blaine was like hey can you come power wash this spot did he notice you like did he the guy Um, power wash i don't think the guy with a face shield or something no 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 he didn't he just like had like a hat on he wasn't actually like his face wasn't covered or anything but i think he was just doing his job and like didn't care that we were, yeah, I didn't even care that we were jumping there, which is fine because I wouldn't like expect him to, you know, not do his job or anything. But he's, he just saw that it, it wasn't an oh, graffiti. And, yeah, like, whatever, <laughs> cool. Um, and then I mean, it didn't matter to didn't matter to the assessor either, so it must not have been too big of a <laughs> too big of a deal. And then I mean, I continued the route and completed the portion, so it wasn't too bad. But yeah, that was one of the memories that just kind of popped out, which elicited some other memories, but just all from very exciting times. and of course the final question three words to describe your practice i'm gonna cheat and use technically more than three words but the three words that i have come up with with my very sassy answer are parkour free running and or du déplacement because i feel like they represent although they come from like their own specific origins i think they represent a lot of what people find in parkour I'm now using it, I guess, in a all-encompassing yeah, the way. The, the lowercase p, the lowercase p, correct? Yeah, but yeah, you can you can have some sort of technical proficiency. Let's say that's like parkour, like you're being efficient and you're doing everything with like without wasting energy, and you're just like straight to the point, right? And you can have free running, which is the creative side. I think, even though I've never seen Sebastian Foucault do a cork in my entire life, I think a lot of people who are doing free running are expressing that creativity and it it does blend into like how can I refine this movement to be efficient in my creativity so of course they overlap there again and then I'd say that our du déplacement is the is where the spirit comes from it's where you're it's like where you hold your values and your ethics and who you are as a person it's like how you're it's like the zen how you live your life and it's the every moment moment to moment is the is the art of it right and and how you're moving through those moments and how 
you're creating yourself as a person and interacting with the environment around you is that's the art. And of course, all three of these are secretly the same thing. You go out and you jump around and we could even we could even dismantle it further and say, well, all parkour is just jumping and climbing like it doesn't even need to have a particular name. But I think when we do put names on it, it creates a certain intention and it creates a certain energy. And from there, we find our own practice because not everybody is going to practice the same. And even if you were to go and do a different practice, that would have its own energy and spirit. But in our world, we have these three main pillars, parkour, free running, and Ardu Duplessement, probably in a different order. I would say parkour, Ardu Duplessement, and free running in that order. Parkour obviously coming from the obstacle courses and things that happened before Ardu Duplessement was created, and then free running being the translation of that. But also what sort of the internet ran away with and turned into its own creation. But I think that's going to happen with anything. The whoever invented the paintbrush isn't like, no, no, you can only do impressionist paintings with this. Like, no, you just, it's a paintbrush, man. You're going to do whatever you want with it. But, and then who are you to say how someone else lives their life? Just because you created a thing doesn't mean somebody create like a similar thing or isn't, aren't going to copy your thing. Like that happens all the time. It's called collaboration, but I think maybe knowing the origin, at least for me, it might be a personal thing. Because I don't think skateboarders get into skateboarding and are like, oh, who started skateboarding? Like, who are the... Maybe they want to know who the greats are or something. Rodney Mullen and like Tony Hawk, I'll probably do a really bad job of representing skateboarding (laughs) history. But yeah, for parkour history, I think it's important to know where it comes from because those people are like alive now. Our Bruce Lee is like alive and there's like nine of them. So you go talk to like all of and then probably more people than that, right? So in our culture, you communicate and you collaborate and you travel and you have new experiences and that reflects in who you are and how you train. Not so much like what you can do, but how you do that thing and how you take on challenges and obstacles and what has parkour done for you rather than what kind of parkour can you do? I might be saying that a little bit weird, but yeah, the, what is the result of your training? And you should immediately be able to see it. Like a martial artist doesn't have to walk around and like beat everybody up to show that they're good at martial <laughs> arts. They actually end up with more control and more calmness and are more centered. So the same can happen for a parkour practitioner. And you can tell somebody how they train just by watching them move or just by watching them train, just by watching them interact as people, because it should reflect on you as a person, because you're choosing how to move and how to practice and to be in every moment and again that's where the spirit comes from yeah thank you very much marcus it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you craig i'm now gonna shake your hand in real life (laughs) but nobody can see that (laughs) just know it happened it happened yeah this was episode 38 for more information go to moversmindset.com slash 38 I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or suggestions. Send an email to team at moversmindset.com. If you found this episode at all useful or enjoyable, please tell your friends. And there's more to the Movers Mindset project than just this podcast. Visit our website for more free content, to sign up for our newsletter, or to join the Movers Mindset community. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.